0: Hello, welcome to this episode of Ten Thousand Posts. It's the show about how everything is posting. My name is Hussein. My name is Phoebe. And this week we have a returning guest for show, returning champion. Uh we've had like a lot of really interesting conversations with him since uh uh, yeah, just like in in the past kind of couple of years that we've been doing this, and it has all sort of culminated, or like lots of the conversations have culminated into um, his new book. It's called Filter World: How Algorithms uh, How Algorithms Trap, Flatten Culture. It is, of course, Carl Chaker. Carl, how's it going?
1: Good. Thanks for having me back.
0: Uh, we've been like looking forward to doing this for a bit, not least because I was when when I was like going through your book and also like doing the notes. I realized that like a lot of the right, some of the writings that we've asked you to come on here to talk about before but also just generally um and just like the ways that you it it sort of feels like filter world is um a lot of the stuff that you've been thinking about and writing about in terms of like online culture and the way that it informs like the aesthetic choices or the aesthetic kind of like the look of uh kind of contemporary culture and the sort of inability to kind of describe it and the sort of very deliberate inability to be able to describe it um and i wondered for people who um aren't familiar with like the work that led up to filter world and really just what filter world is could you sort of give us an overview of like what you were thinking about the sort of stuff that you were sort of seeing that led to um you uh like the sort of underpinning uh argument of the book
1: yeah i definitely see the book as the the culmination of a lot of my journalism and thinking over the past like almost a decade now. I feel like since 2015, 2016. Uh and filter world, I wanted this like singular term for the title. Like I I needed a word to describe the situation that we were in. Uh and so Filter World to me is this idea of being surrounded by a digital scrim basically that influences Mm -hmm. everything you see and all the decisions you make. And Places you go in the real world, what you eat, what you wear, Um, like filter world is the way that we're surrounded by algorithmic feeds and recommendations Mm -hmm. on Netflix and TikTok and Google Maps and Twitter. Just this totally immersive environment that we inhabit that moves between digital and physical space. Um, And I think, I mean, I... it it was the tail end of like observing a lot of the effects of the internet on the physical world. I think over the Mm. past decade, like I think we've all experienced the emergence of massive digital platforms, you know, circa 2006, 2008 through to the present. Mm. And those have really changed how we exist Mm. and go about our lives, you know, looking at our phones and communicating with other people. Uh, So some of those Things were, I mean, my, my first piece that kind of led into this book was uh, this essay called Welcome to Airspace, which came out in 2016, I think. Mm. And that was about the kind of generic minimalist aesthetic of Airbnb rentals and also coffee shops around the world that I've yeah. seen as a, as a freelance journalist. And this was this like first symbol or signal of, of the homogeneity that the internet was causing.
0: Mm. I wondered whether you could talk a bit more about like some of these. So, like, I think coffee shops is a really good example of this—a sort of section of like seeing seeing like a coffee shop in Iceland that looked exactly like a coffee shop like in New York or in London or something. Um, to me, and and also while I was while I was reading that, I realised that like my de- my dentist has had like a uh, my dentist office has <laughs> had like a refurb recently, and it has one of those sort of like live laugh love um like neon signs that like you would see in a sort of like upscaled instagram friendly coffee shop um and they are like a very now they are trying to sort of become instagram friendly uh as their business model has changed so like my you know not not to sort of like go into the in the, the depths of british dentistry and as an industry here but um my dentist used to just i would classify it as like a normal place where they had like you know patient <laughs> like places like p- patients who were like on the sort of state system and patients or in the private system but you could sort of go in and be like yep this is a dentist's office and um as the do- as the dentist who like no longer provide the sort of less well-paid state services um Kind of exit out like all the ones who just say decide to go private they've now sort of become a much more commercially well they believe to be like more commercially friendly like uh dentist and as a result fo- focusing a lot more on like cosmetics and the reason why i brought that up is because i was thinking about also the other examples you give about the ways in which filter world sort of feeds into the way that we think about our bodies and like you know and teeth being like a really good example of that right and i wondered whether you had any thoughts on like why specific places like coffee shops restaurants but also yeah like you know kind of cosmetic like places that sort of focus on like the cosmetic and stuff why are these kind of so um what why do these like tell the better like or more Uh, insightful kind of story about what filter world is and like what, yeah, what can we sort of learn from these types of places and how they've changed over the past like decade or like, as they've been forced to interact with the internet.
1: Right. They've all adapted to like this, (laughs) this internet existence that they all have to maintain in addition to a physical one, like in a way that traditional, dentist office like we can all picture it the drop ceiling the like Mm. yucky tables old magazines whatever like that just feels like a normal physical space where it's like this is not designed to exist online this is not designed to be photographable and I think now a prominent way of signaling to like a millennial customer demographic is to embrace that digital photographable aesthetic where People taking photos of your space, whether it's a dentist's office or a restaurant or a cafe or a work like a startup office or a gym, like encouraging people to take those photographs is your marketing mechanism. And it is the way that you like signal your allegiance to that demographic, your allegiance to like millennial tastes and just like reaching one of your customers' networks. Like if, if one yeah. of your customers posts the the Instagram dentist office on their account, then it's gonna reach all of their friends. Like it's the new kind of word of mouth, just sharing what a space looks like. Um, I don't know, I sometimes think of it as a aesthetic version of search engine optimization. Like the same way that websites have had to bake in certain texts mechanisms and design mm. their pages in a certain way to adapt to Google search. Physical spaces have had to embrace this particular visual aesthetic and particular signifiers in order to like adequately promote themselves through the mm. internet. But there's another side to that where, like the other side to your question of why these particular spaces, and I think it's because they are like multi-sensory lifestyle spaces in which we yeah. demonstrate our tastes. We, you know, become our aspirational selves in a way. Like, particular with dentists or like a, you know, botox salon or something. Mm-hmm. It's like <laughs> you are both uh, consuming the Instagram aesthetic and becoming it. <laughs> like, you're using yeah. these services to to inhabit that role yourself and make yourself more aesthetically adapted in a way, no. which is a bit creepy to think about. Yeah, sure.
2: I love the idea of it being like fundamentally a a sort of real world SEO and trying to kind of map the logic of SEO onto onto real (laughs) world spaces. I think that's quite a spooky idea.
1: I think it affects so much. (laughs) I mean, like SEO is such a dominant force online and I do think it maps onto other stuff like TikTok voice in a way is like auditory SEO for the TikTok platform because there's a certain... Way that you need to speak and a way that you need Mm. to present yourself in order to work on that platform. I mean, this might just be the idea of optimization, period. Like, you're optimizing your output in order to suit the digital space that you're most likely to get promoted through.
0: Yeah. And I think I was really interested in this aspect of it. Like when, before reading your book, but like while I was reading your book as well, I think optimization is such a good way of putting it. Um or like or search engine optimization was like a really good way of putting it. Um not least because like one of the content like one of the sort of um the sort of free lines in your book is really how internet culture sort of shapes physical space, but also how we move through physical spaces, what the relationship between the physical and the digital is. And like, I think a really good example of like kind of physical spaces that are designed to sort of be photographed and posted out or and, and posted, or things to be posted about um sort of really kind of they they sort of really detail like how the relationship between the physical and the digital actually works rather than like the sort of very simplistic ideas of you know one sort of reflecting the other or one sort of um sort of being complementary to the other um and it did and it did like make me wonder about what is meant by optimization now in the sense of my understanding about like seo uh or like the sort of one of the ideas of SEO sort of being that like, you know, using the right kind of, using the right kind of phrases, the right kind of words will help you sort of find a kind of the sort of correct answer, sort of going towards like more personalized answers. But now the idea of like personal optimization in a way of like serving the digital rather than the other way around. I don't know know whether that's like the right way of putting it, but if that is the right way of putting it, that is kind of creepy to just be like, okay, the ways that you are sort of acting and presenting yourself and optimizing yourself for the sake of posting it out is really there to sort of serve the way that like you think a machine is supposed to work or is working.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, talk about everything is posting. (laughs) Every, (laughs) like all of your actions and decisions seem to be, subjugated to this need to post about them and this is i mean speaking as a very online person like (laughs) many people do not feel this necessarily um but i like serving the digital i think there there was a balance that flipped in a way over the past decade where Mm -hmm. maybe before the digital served as a gateway to the physical like you'd google a restaurant or you Mm -hmm. would I don't know. I remember like pulling up MapQuest directions and like printing out one frame at a time or something. <laughs> uh, but now it seems like that polarity has flipped a little bit, where so much of the physical is yoked to its need to become digital. Like rather than the the physical, rather than the digital being a gateway to the physical or a directory to the physical, it's like the physical has to be designed to suit that online directory and i mm. like i keep bringing this up but there's those thai restaurants that became a meme that that are called like thai restaurant near me like the name of the restaurant <laughs> is thai yeah. restaurant near me and that's like they are named that so that they show up more often on your google maps or
0: like yeah. <laughs> you know when
1: you look it up on seamless or something and you put it in thai restaurant near me that, that's gonna come up because it's it's the actual name like yeah. there's no real-world utility to naming your restaurant that it's it's a nonsense name but <laughs> but it works <laughs> for the internet
2: I remember there being um, a very very brief period of time where there was a sort of attempt in the kind of in in the kind of popular culture space to resist these kinds of digital instructions and the, and the thing that it always makes me think of is is Bands giving themselves deliberately un-Googleable names, um, but then obviously realizing that that actually was <laughs> was 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 like as as a kind, as like a, a sort of a no a sort of a noble endeavor to a certain extent. Particularly, uh, particularly now we know what has happened to uh, what has happened to you know, the decimation of the music industry by streaming services and by posting. But like. Um, you do imagine like the like the, the like the the people from Girls, um, who were great. They were oh, a great man. band. Who were impossible. Who were impossible to
1: Google. And- you still can't. I was actually looking for a track of this the other day, and I couldn't bring yeah, it up because yeah, it so like- you can't. You fucking
2: can't. <laughs> it's like literally impossible. And you imagine them being like, "Yeah, this is like we we are we are like we are the vanguard, we are the resistance," and then being like, "Huh."
1: <laughs> maybe yeah, we resisted no, no. too yeah, hard maybe
2: maybe, like, we resisted, maybe we resisted a little too hard in the other direction I like that um, one
1: that was called three exclamation points yeah, chuk, whatever, chuk, 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 yeah. Chuk. yeah and it's like <laughs> i don't even i haven't tried i haven't even tried to find that because I feel like it's not gonna work but
2: no, it's a complete it's, com- it's a complete it's a complete pain <laughs> uh, have either of you ever been in a glossier shop? Just yes. on this, yeah. yeah so, so, have, that, so that's yeah. So, so that's ex- <laughs> it's so funny what different experiences you and I have
0: going into a glossier. I mean, you shop. know, you know why I've been like I, I am, I am, I am sort of the boyfriend and now husband who sort of stands very politely in the corner of glossier and just goes, "Yes, this does look good, actually."
2: <laughs> it's just that I think that if, 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 like the like the the, gloss, the glossier shop I think is like it's like the culmination in what you're ta- of what you're talking about. because it has like it it has like these deliberate areas for you to take instagram pictures and these kind of pink and this kind of very very kind of soft pink lighting but the problem the problem with it is i mean apart from you know the obvious is that it's it's not a very current aesthetic so if you so if you set your physical space up in a way that corresponds to a, to a digital demand, then you have to, you have to be prepared for how, how dated it's going to feel more or less as soon as you've got your brand set up. <laughs> and it's a really, really weird experience being in a, in a glossy because the, like the, the big, the big one that's in the center of town, that's just sort of, sort of like right on the edge of um, right on the edge of Soho in London, you you have to queue to get in uh which is which is not a good feeling for going into a shop where <laughs> all you're going to do is buy an eyebrow gel that for some reason costs 3 times as much as an eyebrow gel should just for some reason just because it comes in this cute little bag and like i know that i know that i like the cute little bags i know that like i'm very easy to kind of persuade <laughs> with just because of that because there is a cute little bag but like the like the other day i was in I, n- I basically never go into the centre of London if I can avoid it because it has turned into a kind of horrible, like horrible, horrible ghost town. But I was, I was there for some reason. I thought, oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go and get myself a little treat. I'm going to get myself a lip thing. I'm going to get myself a tinted lip balm. <laughs> and I'm going to look lovely with my tinted lip balm. And I'm in this queue with, this, with these like teenage like tourists. And I thought, what the f- what am I at? I no, I no, I'm I'm getting out of this queue. I can't I'm not I'm absolutely not queuing up just so that I can spend 30 pounds on a lip balm. I'm not doing I'm not doing it. I'm going to I'm going to order my 30 pound lip balm from my house on the internet as God intended. <laughs> and and I think that's and I think that's the problem. When it feels like there is too much direction and dictatorialism, I feel like people like to think that they have discovered something on their own, even if it has been mediated by the digital space. They don't like being given the hashtag, you know,
1: yeah, yeah, there's a you can force it too much, yeah, but like I mean, I think I have a point in the book where I describe how. Everything has kind of become an Instagram wall. Like, Instagram walls were Mm. this trope, you know, a decade ago, even of a street art mural or something where you're meant to take a selfie in front of it. Mm. And that was the whole point. Like, there's the hashtag, like, the artist's Instagram handle is on there. And you are, that is the whole point of this installation. You have to take a photo in front of it. And that feels like the Glossier store. Yeah. Or the contemporary, like ice cream museum, or color museum, or whatever, where the sole purpose is to go for the experience of taking pictures and then posting them later online. Mm. And I guess there's probably an age limit, right? Like, oh, yeah. I mean, where the, the, the you kids you are to, still like into think, it.
2: You'd like to think you'd like to think so, but like, I'll tell you what in that in that in that glossy I would say that there was. Uh, I say there was a mixture of, I think I'd say the youngest, the youngest girly in that queue was probably what, 12, 13, and like way, way, way into, into adulthood. I kind of, I feel like the, the kind of the flattening of digital and physical has sort of made children of us all
1: uh, <laughs> a lot of- <laughs> well, It's like <laughs> an amusement park in a way. Yeah, it's like, like, like it's let's like, go on the yeah, ride. Let's yeah, go on the ride. Yeah. It's, like, it's
2: like, it's like an amusement park. I mean, like the number of people my age who, uh still do kind of virally things i find i find very interesting and i always want to know where i always want to know where they get it from because all that all that it seems to all that seems to happen is that they've kind of mapped their particular stage of life onto what is functionally what is something that just should be kind of reserved for kind of people who are kind of young and stupid uh, and 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 a, a big one I've, spot, I've spotted for this. It's really really recent, and I assume it comes from like I assume it comes from like family vloggers. Is this this pumpkin patch thing? Have you seen this?
1: Where they are posing a pumpkin. Patch. Where they
2: where they pose in the pumpkin patch? It's the it's the I, I, I bet you I've brought this up before because I find it <laughs> so I find it so bizarre. Um, because like when I was when I was a kid people would go to like Christmas Grosso's and stuff but like it wasn't a kind of you wouldn't get like kind of parents of young children being like yeah there is a particular Christmas Grosso we've got to go to because we've got to <laughs> we've got to get the picture for, and it's like the kid doesn't fucking care the kid wants to see something sparkly and mm. And get a present, like pre- like presumably the kid is not especially worried about mommy's digital presents. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't. <laughs> I hope. Pre- I hope pre- I presume not. it. Presumably, um, but the yeah, the pumpkin patch, I think is uh, I think is a big one because when I was a child, and also when I was like when I was a teenager as well, when I was an, a young a younger adult, if you wanted to get a pumpkin for Halloween, like fine, go ahead, like work like work away. But you you would just go and get it from the shop it there wasn't this there wasn't this thing which everyone behaves as if whenever there's a kind of odd, functionally meaningless and functionally harmless but still interesting cultural shift. people like to pretend that it is mushroomed up independently as opposed to well it's come from something something has made you do this something has like something has kind of awoken this urge in you and the pumpkin patch i think is it, it's it's an absolutely brilliant scam because what you do is, is what they do is they buy a bunch of pumpkins and then they just put them on a field just like on the floor
1: <laughs> right they're not even growing there yeah, necessarily it's not, <laughs> it, yeah, it's it's not, not like a... it's
2: not a pumpkin it's not a pumpkin patch if you live in the southeast of england as as we do there are no fucking pumpkin patches <laughs> like that is not this is not this is not that's not what we we're, we're not we're not we're not in, we're not in like we're not in like Denver. We don't have pumpkin patches. That's not something that's like a kind of regular thing that you just kind of come across in the like in the kind of in, sort of English, Scottish, Scottish, and Welsh countryside. You don't just see sort of pumpkin patches. So somebody, some enterprising person, buys a bunch of pumpkins, puts them on a puts them in a muddy field, charges <laughs> people to come in, um, take pictures of themselves or takes pictures, ideally take pictures of their children, but. I have seen an adult who I know for a fact doesn't have a child taking themselves off to a pumpkin patch in October
1: to take the photos to take the to photos go, go of themselves the
2: to take the selfie in the pumpkin patch and if it was a kind of if it was a kind of pure non-profit seeking enjoyment but not like but like just like just like a new one like then I would then I would think ah oh, that's interesting. It's weird, but yeah, it it's interesting. I wouldn't ha- I wouldn't have any issue with it, but everyone complains about it like it is a grim necessity of life to do this. So they say oh. <laughs> So yeah, so you keep, so you're forest, in the car, pumpkin patch. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
1: I must this, take my mandated autumnal photo. <laughs> yeah,
2: and this is what's so interesting it. is that people connect it and I'm sure that part of this is because of the kind of flattening of uh, of the imagery <laughs> around space is that people make it seem like a trip to the dentist, like you don't want to do it, but you gotta, <laughs> you got you gotta, you gotta do it. You have to queue for two hours in the car, then like get out. Your kid is like, is like furious at being cooped up in a car for two hours. You take pictures of them for 20 minutes because that's the only amount of time you're allowed in and uh, and then you pick up the pumpkin which you could have got from the shop and then back you go takes another two hours to get out of the car park and everyone is like oh yeah you know god god uh, coming up for the yearly pumpkin patch nightmare and as as if this is this is, this kind of well, you know, we don't like it, but this is just something. It's just something you got. do something you got to do. You got you. You pay, you pay your bills. You go. You go to the dentist. This is something that something that like has to be done. And there was this kind of feeling in that Glossier queue of a similar kind of grim determination. Like we are in the centre of London. We are going to the Glossier shop. You know.
1: Mm. There's a compass. Like a competitive, it's like peer pressure almost. <laughs> like yeah. if you're, Once one person starts doing it, you have to like participate in the meme of taking the photo in the pumpkin patch or in the Glossier store. I mean, I think about this with restaurants a lot now too. It seems like, you know, going to restaurants is now this competitive cultural phenomenon in the mm. in terms of like getting to the latest cool place, like getting into a hard to get, you know, table. Yeah, and the photo is the proof of the experience like the that's the currency yeah. of it that you can share and show to your friends and like so, distribute yeah. on the internet well, well,
0: and and this was like another question because like i don't like that that tendency has sort of always been there right in terms of like there are always going to be places that are deemed to be like high status or like their sort of value comes from being kind of difficult to access uh And I wonder whether I wonder whether like because because this almost like feels like an opposite, like the places, you know, I see I was in the center of town like recently in London and there was like a pop up like restaurant, which I guess does like sort of Korean food. And it had like a very, very like there are lots of like Korean pop ups in London right now, which have like very long queues of young people. And presumably it is very much like a place where you go you know you buy like korean snacks and you like you know you can see that like these are sort of designed to take photos but they don't they're not they don't necessarily speak to like oh these are hard to get places, like hard to get to places or the value is in the sort of sense that you kind of really have to be a certain type of person in order to sort of get access to it like it sort of feels like on the one hand like the value of this is that they sort of present as being accessible or sort of being open to the public but in doing so like the reason why they are open to the public is because they sort of know that everyone who goes in there isn't really going in to sort of consume like the product but rather to sort of reproduce it and i don't know is that is that like i don't know if that's sort of like an accurate way of looking at it because I was just something i was thinking about when you were talking about like glossy and everything like these don't these are these don't speak to sort of like rare or things that are like scarce and that sort of weather and i and i do wonder in your mind like you know you touch on it in my parts of the book but whether you have any thoughts on like how internet culture or sort of the internet as it exists or like through the sort of prisma filter world how has that influenced what how we consider like what we consider to be valuable and what things are valuable um and whether like value can be correlated to posting
1: I think value is definitely correlated to posting. I mean, in a, in a way, if you if you buy into it. I think that question of scarcity is really interesting. Like you have the, the obscure chip shop or like crisp shop. <laughs> it's like, here we have crisps from all over the world mm-hmm. in our store and you're queuing up and like taking photos. And it's not about getting a hard to get table or like participating in a niche scene. It's just about going and having the experience and then having the documentation of it. So I feel like that is one form of value. Like the value of that experience is that you are participating in a thing that a lot of other people have already participated in, in a way. Like you're taking Mm. the same photo as them. You're repeating the experience of the influencer that you saw on TikTok or like the creator that you saw on TikTok. Um, Mm. So I guess like reiterating the experience, copying it, getting the documentation is seen as valuable to some people. And then, I mean, I think the other side of the equation is that the, the more offline is fetishized also. Like mm. the experience that you cannot just see on an influencer's TikTok account that you can't just queue up for, that you have to figure out yourself or achieve for yourself in some way. But then even that experience is commodified and broadcast through posting about it. Like you want to post from, you know, the backroom of pasties or something like you need to Uh. go to the you need to reach the inner sanctum of whatever thing you're doing, which is very offline, and then put it online so that other people can see that you've done it. Um, So I don't know, like the there's like popularity is valued, like like how popular a meme is. Is valuable, but then also how, like the obscurity is valued too, as long as you can still perceive it on the internet.
2: <laughs> mm. Mm. I th- I think my, my my favorite my favorite one of these is, uh, because it it kind of seeps into kind of every sort of area of life, and it and it's sort of you know there's kind of there are sort of, there's there's food that you post and there's art that you post, and whenever you see someone with the picture of themselves in like one of like, like one of the like one of the like the Kasara light exhibitions yes, yeah. or the like the Eliason orange smoke corridor um everyone says okay yeah so I, I I went and I got the picture in a kind of a like almost like almost like apologetic way and it's like yeah <laughs> you went because you wanted to get the picture it, you're not you're not you're not a sort of kind of elevated being because you think that you didn't go to get the picture if you didn't go to get the picture why would you take the picture and I think because the, the Casaro one is really interesting because you are only allowed in there for like five minutes and it's because they don't want people in there taking like kind of thousands like thousands of pictures and I've de- I've been I've I've been to see art that has been in the last like little bit of like in smaller in smaller galleries, which is deliberately set up so that it's basically impossible to take a picture of <laughs> and again like <laughs> I, I, I kind of respect that because I think if you're like yeah if you're like a, a light artist or if you or if you do installations that kind of move or interact with like either kind of light or water in like in in any way, then you are. You are not supposed to be mediating your experience of it through a screen you aren't it, it, you are supposed to just look at it and and i am I've never seen anything that says we have we have presented this in such a way that it's basically impossible to record it but i'm sure but I'm sure that it's deliberate and it and it does seem to be the kind of the absolute other end of the spectrum um Carl do you have the do you have the van Gogh interactive yes exhibitions in yeah, the, like, in light the so, yeah where uh, you go in the room with the sunflowers and then you yes. take a picture of yourself with the sunflowers and then you post it with a kind of a huh oh, yeah i'm so basic i took the picture of the sunflowers and it's like and again you didn't right, you didn't have to of course you did i've got the i've got the orange smoke picture it's a great picture <laughs> <laughs> i'm it's one of, it's one of it's one of my favorite ever pictures of me in the orange the orange smoke picture yeah
1: the question is, like, where is the art? <laughs> like, what is the art experience in in these things? Like, in a Kusama installation, her intention was not to provide a nice backdrop for your selfies. Mm. Like, the, the experience yeah. was supposed to be, like, ego dissolution and being overwhelmed mm. and all of the stuff. And um, yet we reduce yeah. all of it to being able to take a photo of it. Like, we remove all the conceptual art all the installation mm. art all of the like immersive this is something you can only experience in person and we just like literally flatten it into a way into these images or slideshows or videos that,
2: sure. that then if become
1: the emissary of the art object anyway yeah
2: because then that because then they become then they become the object as well but they're a kind of this sort of tiny reproduced version it's almost like everyone has read benjamin on, on, <laughs> on art, and then it's just been like i'm gonna take there's such the opposite of what he means by it um, and I know that this is I know that people have not in the ma- in the main um, in the main red Benjamin but um but they but they're certainly but they're certainly kind of playing his playing his theories out I like I always wonder particularly with the kind of the feeling of kind of okay so I went to, I went to the thing uh, I went to the I went to the I went to see the art or I ate the I ate the Korean milk donut or I uh, or or I went to the fucking pumpkin patch. And here I am. Here I am with my with my art object, which I have uh, which I have mechanically reproduced and and part of it is not because I want to have done something that no one else has done. It's because other people have done it. So it's a kind of it's a kind of distorted, abstracted imitation of what used to be physical community. So like where people used to like Meet up to hang out, or like, or like, play a game of football on a sports field, which has now been shut down, or just go, or like, go to like, like a kind of social club, or even like, go to like a kind of sort of re- sort of religious institution or something. So now, what you've got is, I am part of this community, and you can tell I am because I have queued in the same donut queue as everyone else.
1: Like your form of connection with these other people is doing the same that they've yeah. done and like participating in the digital like mm. shadow of that experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I don't I don't want to like shit on them too much. Like no, I I don't know. I'm not even <laughs> shitting yeah.
2: on it. It's just, it's like, it's just I think it's just very, it's very depressing.
0: I suppose, I um, well, yeah, I mean, I suppose I wondered, um, and, you know, again, you sort of touched on this a little bit in your book, but the idea of, like, public space and the sort of, like, you know, the decimation of public space and how, you know, if, if, like, the sort of places of community are one, or the places where, like, you can sort of be around other people or have, like, shared experiences are ones that are, like, almost inherently commercial and therefore have these sort of commercial elements that, again, these platforms are very much built for, right? Like, you know, you've sort of noted in your writing, but we've talked a lot about on the show about how, like, ultimately these platforms aren't really kind of, you know, centers for community or like, you know, they have no sort of interest in like, you know, any type of collective cultivation. These are commercial products designed to sell commercial products or like or designed to sell other commercial products and so if these types of like private spaces that are the kind of you know are like taking up what is left of sort of the public realm um you know is is doesn't it sort of become like a bit more natural that or the or the we I'll reframe the question as basically saying like, is like, could you sort of make the argument that this sort of tendency of posting for the sake of posting or the posting to sort of show that you were, you know, you sort of experienced this thing, like how much of that is actually a platform sort of like incentivizing that behavior? I guess that really does come at the heart, like one of the sort of questions at the heart of your book, which is, you know, the idea of the algorithm and like, does it sort of incentivize particular behavior or do people create the behavior that then sort of allows like or then determines the function of that platform i don't know whether there's really an answer to that but i wondered whether that was something that you were getting at and like whether you could sort of elaborate on that tension a little bit
1: yeah it's very i mean i struggled through the book to kind of uh take on both sides of this like digital platforms are made up of people doing behaviors that they would do otherwise and motivations that they follow in their real lives and offline and all of this stuff. And algorithmic feeds that like run on these platforms exaggerate actions that are people that people are already taking. It's not like a they're not creating behaviors from scratch necessarily. Um, But I think like the scale of it is so different and and, and inorganic. Like we obviously have mimetic behaviors. We copy what other people are wearing. We go to the same restaurants, we congregate in the same places. But I think that happens at a smaller scale before, you know, this era of the internet mm-hmm. where a billion people, the world over are connected on one monolithic platform. Um, yeah. Like I kept just running up against this thought of how unprecedented that is that I can Instantly connect with the granular day-to-day life and content of, you know, someone vastly geographically separate from me. But I'm consuming their life and communing with them, you know, every hour of every day. If I really wanted to, it just seems like that kind of super granular globalization is just on a whole different level than it used to be. Um, I kind of in the book I track. A little bit of this history of like flatness and ideas about homogeneity through the kind Mm. of 70s through the 2000s, you know, up through like Tom Friedman saying the world is flat. But I think so many of those cases were about corporations or brands or, you know, larger scale fashion trends or something. It wasn't about literally individual people all being so interconnected. And I think Mm. my gut instinct is that that's what makes this era different and it's what makes the kind of like bottom up model of culture that we have now so so different from what it used to be
2: yeah it like it fucking drives me nuts when people say stuff like people said stuff like this about the printing press it's like well they may well have done but it's not that's not an appropriate analogy shut up <laughs>
1: it's it's wild i mean i've i tr- you know it, i guess we always feel things are unprecedented but come on like like the the internet is a crazy departure from the rest of human history like- yeah,
2: you don't you don't have to pretend it's not because it fe- it makes you feel uncomfortable to like address the tensions like that's not that's not like that's not like necessary you don't have to say something is like over like overall good or overall right like overall overall bad you can you can you can pick out the strands you don't have to say like oh well you know this is really just like the panic around uh, around the proliferation of newspapers no it isn't shut up <laughs> 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 no it, it isn't at all it isn't at all like that
1: and social media is just so pervasive i mean i think all of these things have become more pervasive over the past decade and particularly like the experience of the pandemic and quarantine was kind of showed us how online our lives had become or Mm. just how much Mm. the internet could encompass of our existences. And that, I mean, I think in writing the book and also in talking to people after the book, like I think we are in this moment of backlash or of more understanding that this kind of interconnection and these massive platforms are like not necessarily a net positive you know oh. not just for yourself in a given moment but for humanity but for many industries like we're realizing that these theoretically public spaces are just these corporate commodified like content consumption mechanisms like they're not <laughs> they're not here for our benefit they're here to just mm. commodify our attention 24 7.
2: Mm. where's that post about how like the, it's like the problem is the idea of the mass audience and you should be making things for 30 sickos.
0: I think I saw that like, yeah, I think I saw that like today. I
1: don't know People I was keep like, sending it to I me hope. and I'm like, okay. <laughs> I mean, we're all doing that. Like, I don't know. I, I'm definitely making things for 30 sickos basically. It's like yeah. you want to have a, an actual audience in mind for whatever it is you're doing. I mean, something yeah. we haven't talked about as much yet is like, these systems pressure consumers in a certain way, like mm. you know, we we feel the peer pressure to like go to Glossier or take a photo in the pumpkin patch or whatever. But they also really pressure creators of all kinds of culture to behave in certain ways that are not yeah. super organic. Like, well, I
0: was, yeah, I was. So I, I was going to ask you a question on this because I think it like really comes down to um, one of the things that you sort of point out, but it comes down to is the idea of the algorithm and sort of how how like what an algorithm is, like what we think of an algorithm, how that has changed over the past decades So like, or possibly more where like you sort of begin or the idea of an algorithm sort of used to be a very like technical term. It used to sort of refer to kind of like a machine solving a very particular, like a technical problem to make it function like in the way that it was designed to by a human being um all the way up till now where like an algorithm is kind of it seemed to be a bit more like it it seems to be much more abstract and it seems to be a lot more undefinable the idea you know i I think like the most apt way of putting it being like this algorithm is kind of a deity and like the only people that can sort of like interact with said deity are this kind of clerical (laughs) class of tech bros uh or like you know tech guys who can sort of design it in whatever way they or they they can sort of interfere with it wherever they want to and they decide that actually the way that the algorithm should work is one that happens to like make them very very wealthy and then the trickle down like thing about is that you have creators and like i don't think that we're like we as like a show or like are completely immune to that i feel like everyone who works in content in some capacity does kind of think that like if you are posting stuff on the internet you know what stuff works what stuff you know you're sort of constantly guessing or you're trying to guess like how your audience is interacting with this type of technological system i wondered whether you could talk a bit about like how what we think of the algorithm or like how the algorithm as an idea has changed because i think that in some ways is like so important in understanding what or how filter world is structured and how a lot of online behavior isn't really dictated by how the system works but how i guess how we think the system works
1: right the perception of it matters just as much as the reality of it uh and like
0: and, i i guess like cuz like the like and like certain behaviors like that creators like certain creators do or like the ways in which like, just as creators as a like, like job the ways in which like we or creators sort of imagine their work or what they should be doing is also informed by how they think an algorithm works. sorry to interrupt but, yeah just just always just to like clarify second, second that.
1: guessing i mean i think so the like algorithm as a word just means equation like it has A millennium of history (laughs) Um, just as like it refers to a math equation such as how to find the volume of a ditch like that's that's an algorithm uh but i think you know it evolved over time through early ai and like the turing era and you know it became part of machine learning and i think what we're really encountering right now is the rise of algorithmic recommender systems which is like a discrete kind of technology. I think we often get it very confused because we talk about the algorithm as this kind of deity that we're constantly contending with online Mm. as a consumer or as creators. Whereas actually there is no the algorithm. There's like different recommendation algorithms on each platform that work differently in different moments. And that's what we're contending with. Like we're contending with the specific equation of the facebook feed of the twitter feed or x feed of the tiktok for you feed and we're tr- we're like seeing what variables those feeds are taking into account at a given moment or what things they're prioritizing and so like this, the second guessing comes when the makeup of that algorithm changes and the engineers decide that, OK, you know, we're no longer prioritizing one minute videos. We're prioritizing 10 minute videos <laughs> like mm. the, the a variable flips. And all of a sudden the terrain that you've been standing on as a creator of content has changed. Uh, I think a big one, a very visible one in the past years has been Instagram going from prioritizing still images to promoting videos. Like mm. before Instagram was about images, like it was about posting photos on your account. And with the rise of TikTok, Instagram, you know, the executives were like, okay, we're gonna jump into that space. We're gonna embrace short form video. That is gonna be the point of Instagram. And I think that caused so much user anxiety because we're like, no, we don't want videos here. Like we don't wanna create videos. We wanna keep posting mm-hmm. our photos. And yet that's not what the feed prioritizes. Mm.
2: Yeah, I think it, I that's I think that's just wanted to just pick up just on something that you said really quickly. I think it is really really important that we don't fall into the trap of like of saying the algorithm like yeah. it is like it is this kind of magical self generating um, yes. entity which is just in the air and it uh, and it manipulates our behavior both social creative cultural. Uh, con- consuming etc it's a it's a series of proprietary codes that were written by somebody by a person like or like a team of people and it, it's 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 really really important and i and i thank you very much for reminding me of this because i i know that i'm like oh yeah well you know it's the algorithm I do that I do that mm. all the time and it's like it's really it's a really really important and salutary really reminder be like nope no 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 there is no such thing as a the algorithm it is not this is not a real thing this is uh this is a in the main a uh behavior and uh consumption manipulation tool which has been written by somebody to do that with that particular purpose in mind that's what it is that's what it's for
1: Right. It's specific to a given platform. It's like, I don't know, it makes me think of like uh, the list of ingredients on a food product or something. It's like each one is different. Each one works in different ways. We can't lump them all together. And like we shouldn't because they do work in specific ways. They are the result of corporate decisions and policies that change and ideas that change about what we should post and what we should consume. So I think we do fall into that trap of blaming, you know, quote unquote, the algorithm and having all this anxiety about how the algorithm works when really we can be talking about we are mad that Facebook has made certain decisions about how the Facebook feed works or TikTok has made certain decisions about what content it's prioritizing. Mm.
2: I I always wonder whether it would be possible for... Uh, for a kind of a skilled a skilled coder who doesn't want to do this kind of work, to be able to construct a proprietary algorithm sort of from first principles, like if they spent enough time with with the output of say like a TikTok feed, whether they would be able to work out exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> how like what the algorithm policy actually was yeah. for this particular platform.
1: I do love the the idea that's emerging more of customized algorithms or the ability to toggle how your feed works and what things you want to prioritize as a user. Like, I think I see some startups working on this or people, you know, trying to break down what works about the TikTok for you feed, but also how can we give more agency to the user? And like, I, I think discovery, like discovery is the big problem that algorithms solve, right? It's like we need to find stuff in the giant morass of content online and recommendations help us a lot. But ultimately, the recommendations, like the goal of these feeds is not to give us what we're most deeply interested in. <laughs> it's to like keep us consuming content so that more ads can be sold. And I do wonder, like, what would that best algorithm look like? Like, what is what is the algorithmic recommendation that is devoted toward giving you the most deeply moving art possible. <laughs> like what how do we <laughs> how do we emphasize that variable rather than the variable of like what sustains your attention so that you'll look at another ad.
2: Also how do they account for people who are like me, which how they how you establish how you establish your like your negative consumption mm-hmm. habits, like how you like how you establish what you don't want to see is by clicking on every fucking thing you don't want to see <laughs> <laughs> because you don't want to see it. And you're like, why is the, why is the feed showing me this? I'm going to click on it just to, just to really, really fully, fully embody my displeasure at being shown this thing that I don't want to see. But the, but <laughs> the, the code doesn't know that Yeah, it doesn't know that I, that I want to be making a point to myself that, algorithmically i'm going to be shown a bunch of bullshit so i'm looking at the bullshit and so it's just going to show show me more of the same bullshit and i know that it's going to do this and yet i can't stop myself so i don't know how it i don't know how it accounts for for that for that kind of behavior because like all the assumption is like oh it's oh it's about what holds your attention but it's also about what you dislike
1: yeah Yeah, I mean, there's no way to tell the the feed that you're consuming something ironically (laughs) or like hate hate (laughs) reading something or, and I don't know if like the answer to that is a button where it's like oh no i'm i'm in irony mode
2: right now like
1: so <laughs> yeah. register this for my recommendations yeah, or I'm, something
2: yeah like I'm, I'm 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 hate watching this i'm watching this i'm watching this specifically to send to my podcast co-host to say look at this bullshit how could could i have a button for that Maybe for that,
1: maybe. Right, or like muting yourself in a way, or being like you know going incognito mode in a way with with the. Oh what like like, like like
2: like temp like temporarily like turning off the machine learning, but then wouldn't just everyone just do that all the time? Right. Well, then
1: maybe we should. You know, I mean, <laughs> maybe, all the <laughs> all the new EU regulations with like the Digital Services Act that passed recently. Does mandate like you being able to turn off algorithmic recommendations? Period. Interesting. Like, no, having none of them, mm. and that is like legally mandated. You must be able to shut this off, and that will be fascinating yeah. to see what people do. But there's like an interesting
0: point also in your book where you actually try, and you like there are several times actually where you like you try to experience the internet without even like without like even so even going like, like going cold turkey off social media or like trying to do it use online without the sort of the algorithmic feeds and they kind of have like I wouldn't necessarily say you kind of write about it saying that, oh this was successful and changed my entire experience or like or, or it sort of made my experience better but you did sort of say that it did let you think about how you explore like, or how you use the internet and also I think one of the interesting points and I don't know this is something that I kind of thought was in subtext rather than something you point out but so correct me if I'm wrong but it does sort of imply that like uh, without this sort of algorithmic systems and it's not to sort of say that like they these algorithmic systems like make it better or make it useful, but rather that they inform so much of how contemporary internet culture or so much of how the internet works and how internet culture emerges out of it that using the internet without these settings makes it kind of feel, I guess. I mean, I guess it. I guess the correct term is it uses friction, Like you can see the friction. Yeah. And yeah. for and if you're used to like an online environment, especially if like you're a lot younger and you sort of have grown up in a sort of platform on a platform internet, the idea of experiencing friction online is something that can be very deeply unsettling. And so, even if like you have legal enforcement to say that yeah, you can you know you know these al- like the you can turn off the algorithm, they don't have a right to sort of like guide you. In terms of your online, cult, like on your online experiences, what these tech companies can seem to do is make you make make online make your experience on the internet so much worse if you don't let them do it. Yeah, and the, that's kind of where I want. Yeah, it.
1: like the I think a line in the book I have is like. When you don't use the feeds, you realize that the internet is no longer built to function without them. Like right. the internet right now is built to deliver you the stuff you want to look at. It's not built for you to go hunt it down and like build your own bookmark system or like check website homepages yeah. anymore. It's about well, you have to, be, like, re- yeah. to you. you.
0: You have to be really dedicated or you have to really sort of invest quite a lot of your time into making sure that like the algorithm doesn't inform your tastes. And, you know, and I think Having sort of tried to do a little bit myself and finding it quite difficult, like one of the things that I sort of came across is just like, oh, it does actually require you to be uncomfortable for like quite a long time. You have to like, you know, if you're like, you know, music, for example, like I know I really admire Phoebe's like project in terms of listening to a new album every day and I've tried it like several times and I'm just like, oh, this makes me feel really uncomfortable when I'm not listening to something (laughs) that like I immediately enjoy. Um, And I understand that I've gone in it with the purpose of, like, I want to see what it's like to see whether I would enjoy it. Mm. But... After like a few days, I'm like, nope, no, I'm just, I'm going, I'm going back. I'm going back to like my very, my, my, I'm going back to my playlists. You know, I'll like, if I find something I'll like, if, if I listen to something randomly that I like, then great. Um, And it makes me feel really bad because I'm just like, oh, like, you know, I understand that this is not good for me. But I understand that this is not good if I want to sort of experience more of the world and I want to sort of appreciate like artistic output, especially if I complain so much about like the lack of it. Mm. And yet, the friction of that is kind of—it feels so uncomfortable that I can imagine for just like normal people who don't really think about it, and who don't really think about it in like such—I I don't know—who don't—who who may not like sort of think about it as uh, as much as we do—that the idea of kind of yeah, the idea of experiencing the online world as a friction as a friction-filled environment at a time when their offline environments are probably just as much like filled with like more instability probably means that it's less likely that they'll do it, which is to say that I do wonder, like, you know, the points that you make and when you came on last time, I think you were talking about the ways in which like the internet can sort of be made fun is when you're sort of searching for stuff yourself, and you have to sort of put in a bit of an effort. But the output of that is so much more rewarding in the long term. Um, but I do wonder whether, like something like that on a mass scale, might like would that nec- would that be possible? And I'm not I'm not entirely sure. But only just on the basis of that, I do think that it does just require so much more energy than maybe a lot of people have.
1: But yeah, I don't know what you think about maybe, maybe
0: I'm like underselling it.
1: No, the like that labor restores some value like you, you will find more weird things if you work for them <laughs> like I think if you have <laughs> that feeling that culture is boring that I'm not finding new or inspiring things then you're probably not working hard enough to like look beyond all of your digital feeds and, and find new stuff um mm. but I do think I mean this is a niche form of labor <laughs> like like we're speaking as people mm. who are like very online kind of like tastemaker-ish figures whose job, in a way, is to find what is new and interesting and, like, surface it for other people. Um, so for us, like, we should do that labor. We should, like, work hard to, to find interesting things. And I don't think everyone has to do that. Like, there mm. there's no problem fundamentally with listening to your Spotify recommendations if that's what makes you happy and you don't feel dissatisfied with that. Like, I think not everyone needs to devote... Hours every day to like expanding the horizons of their tastes, like that's not possible for everyone. Uh, Yeah,
2: no, 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 like, like absolutely. I mean, like, obviously, like accepting the absolutely like irreparable harm that that Spotify has done to music as an industry. But it's no, (laughs) but, but that's like, but Spotify is no better and no worse than any other streaming platform, which has had a kind of similar effect on whatever industry it has. It has decimated like it's it's like it's really really bad but it's but it's you know it's just about as bad as netflix it's just about as bad as amazon it's it's all it's all it's all bad like clear it, channel um,
1: radio like like yeah. most companies that have made it very convenient for you to consume things have also done a lot of bad yeah, I've done a lot, I've done a lot, of, <laughs> lot, of,
2: lot of, lot of, lot of harm. Like the convenience, the convenience is always at the expense of the art. That is hardly, that's hardly a new yeah, observation. just yeah. has just been kind of accelerated, and is at a kind of unimaginable scale. Um, than it, than it, than it ever, than it ever has been. Mm. Like how I, um, what based on what, um, Hussein was saying about my, my album a day. This is a thing. I, this is a thing I do, Carl. I listen to a new, al- a, a new album every day the only rule is that it has to be from the year that I am that like I am like currently in it has to be like a new album um I've been this is the f- fucking hell this is the third year running I've been doing it and it's now like just kind of it's been habituated it's like part of like my kind of daily routine and I am very very careful never to use uh any kind of music streaming recommendation like that's not that's not where i get what it's what i use it as a tool to listen to the stuff because that's how you listen to stuff unfortunately um but i know that if i use the recommendation tool then it would it would very very quickly revert to a uh, to a certain kind of meme mean it would work out what like what the sort of things that I like particularly like are and it would just show me more of that and I don't want to do that I want to listen to new stuff and it's like and yeah it is a certain it is a certain amount of complexity and it's a certain amount of labor and I don't feel I don't feel obliged to do it I enjoy doing it it doesn't feel like uh just going going back to the going back to the pumpkin patch it doesn't feel like a kind of like a self-imposed Piece of bullshit because I have to record my life like a vlogger, even though I am not making (laughs) any kind of (laughs) any kind of like appreciable uh, appreciable kind of material gains out of living my life like a vlogger. Uh, which, you know, again, it's like, it, you know, wanting to leave a memory of yourself, wanting to leave a kind of footprint on the world, wanting to leave a kind of, I was, I was here, I was here, like, just because the tools available for you making stuff are so inadequate for making something meaningful and valuable doesn't mean that people aren't going to want to leave evidence that they were sort of once on this planet. And I think that's like part of it. And it's like a huge part of it, because everything else is so discouraged, like anything kind of anything meaningful or or valuable is so is so discouraged whereas stuff which is like obviously kind of like vapid and pap and like fluff like um uh, have, have either of you ever heard of girlfriend proposals
0: um no. <laughs> I I feel like I might have I feel like I might have but I'm not sure. So do, yeah, do you want to do and tell us what that is? Okay, so a girlfriend proposal. It's exactly
2: what it sounds like. It is asking someone formally to be your girlfriend. Oh, it's not what a your...
0: girlfriend proposes to you to Okay, all right. Okay, then no.
2: <laughs> no, no, no. It's uh it's it's when you ask it's when you ask someone to be your girlfriend. I assume that boyfriend proposals exist as well, but I've just never seen any and I've never heard of any. Uh So the girlfriend proposal is when you you set up a kind of uh, you set up a kind of scenario and you and and you and you film yourself asking whoever uh, the the woman that you're seeing to be your to be your girlfriend. And then you and then you and then you you upload it. And I know somebody who got girlfriend proposed to and she showed me this video and, and this that had been posted on her now girlfriend's Instagram. And I was like, "I'm really so st- I don't. <laughs> Why? Why is this? Why has this been? Why has this been done?" Um, and she said, "Oh well, you know, like it's like it's a girlfriend proposal." And I was like, "No, no, I, un- I-, I- believe me, I understand the nature of the co- That's not that's not where the understanding is falling down here. I understand what it is, but this feels like." This feels like a very unnecessary source of anxiety, and she said, "Oh yeah, but you know, she like she set up like the room, and she like got like the kind of the bliss." And I was like, "No, no, 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 I'm not saying that's not, a lot, like, you know, that's like that's like a really that's a really nice thing to do." I don't understand why she has put it up on her Instagram, and she said, "Oh well, because you have to if you want discoverability."
1: Oh my god! <laughs>
2: on Instagram, then you have then it has to be then it Jeez. has to be a then it has to be a real now, and and I said, "Yeah, but." she's not a, she's not like a content
1: creator, right?
2: She, is she? And she said, no. And I said, so why does it matter that strangers see it? This is and like she she said, such what? a
1: personal thing too. Like why does this <laughs> so, intimate such personal, such personal thing, thing have to like, be content? Like,
2: Yeah, th- this is like, this is one of my friends and I felt weird seeing this. I was like, this feels like a, this feels like a, this feels like an intimate moment, which should not be being shown, to, <laughs> right. which should not be being shown to other people and and there was that and, and, and it and it really really felt like one of those uh, like one of those things where just because everyone does it doesn't mean that it doesn't deserve some kind of like some kind of like thinking about like it's not it's not like it's not it's not meaningless that this that this woman's instinct is a way of as a as a way of recording her experience of being alive at this time is to is to make Mm. something which is specifically for the posting because it obviously was for the posting it wasn't like it felt very kind of staged and and set up and i think it kind of goes back to what you were both saying about about this kind of frictionless experience because we've talked about this before but young people don't know how to use computers (laughs) and this is this is a brand new piece of information to me i got told this by a friend who's a teacher which is that everyone makes this mistake of thinking that being a digital native and growing up in growing up with this stuff just like all around you all available all the time means that you are like really really computer literate and they're not they're not at all none of them none of them can do it apparently you can't apparently like teenagers cannot like, find and send a file now they can't do it because
1: no one needs to. it's like all about no, because because, because nobody, nobody
2: needs to, yeah, so they're not computer they're not computer literate at all. they're not digital natives, actually. what they are is they are platform natives, they know they know the back they know the back end they know the they know the 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 product end, but they don't know about yeah. any of what sort of of what like goes into it and so when it comes to this very very kind of natural and historically human desire to leave something of yourself and leave some and make something and leave some evidence of you being alive because you are in this in this in in this environment where where the own where the only systems are the systems of what of what gets visibility and what gets Mm. attention there's no there's no impetus to seek the seek the, the the labor of it there's no there's no impetus for for meaning because you don't even know how this environment that you live in or this environment that has that has raised you and mediates your experience you don't know how it works it's just there
1: yeah it feels so inevitable I think yeah. that's like the inevitability of it and the discouragement of thinking outside of these systems is like the one of the biggest problems mm-hmm. just because like, I mean, that's what filter world in a way means to me too. It's just like the illusion is that this is your entire existence, <laughs> like that you have to put your your girlfriend proposal on Instagram and that the more randos who see it, the, the better it is or for some reason. Whereas actually you don't need any of that. Like you could, you cannot not be online. You can have your diary in a text folder like on your, <laughs> on your hard drive. And like, I don't know the, the discouragement of that and the, mm. the almost impossibility, the impossible quality that that feels like to us right now is, is mm. surprising. And I, I hope we can just like change our minds a bit. And like I, yeah. get back to that. And sorry. I, I really have to, get off the... Oh,
0: okay. Okay. So can can we we wrap it up? No worries. Yeah, let's wrap. I, I was I was actually going to ask and do one more question, but I will I will not do that one question. Uh, okay. So, um, Devin can get rid of that, and then we'll be back in three, and two, in one. Um, I've just clocked the time, and it does seem like we do have to end the episode. Unfortunately, there's like a lot that we could talk about. Um, so, but what I will say is that you should buy a copy of Kyle's book if you haven't already. Uh, the link will be in the show notes. It's called Filter World. But in the meantime, Kyle, thank you for coming on. Thank you. It's always fun to have you back. Yes. Yeah, uh, if great. people want to read your writing, how can they? How can they do that?
1: uh there's a bunch on my website which is Kylechaka.com, and i write a column for the new yorker on internet culture and that's basically where most of my writing is so i have a nice author page there and you could talk about this for hours it's like it's it's all (laughs) of our lives so i am sure i am sure
0: that we'll have you back soon uh, and i'm looking forward to having you back uh at some point in the near near future uh thank you very much yeah thank you very much for listening to this free episode we have lots of bonus content on our on our patreon patreon.com forward slash 10k post podcast five bucks a month uh yeah helps us run the show and we really appreciate all the support that we can get um i have no plugs phoebe do you have any plugs
2: uh, yeah, you can subscribe to my sub stack. Like, I actually have a essay up there at the moment, which is about how if you are uh, how if you are expecting a baby, the algorithm is designed
0: to m- to drive you slowly mad <laughs>
2: so <laughs> great stuff yeah companion piece so that's a nice little companion piece companion piece of this
0: episode, to this, episode. Uh, this show is produced by Devon follow them at Devon underscore uh, follow them at Devon underscore on earth listen to Kill James Bond if you don't already and then all the other usual links in the show notes um, and yeah until next time we'll catch you later have a good one bye bye bye